Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome back to Movie House Concessions on the MHM Podcast Network, where each episode we pull a random film from the display case to see if it tastes as fresh as the day it was released, or I guess in this case, the day uh, it was drank. I'm Chris. I'm Chad. I'm Patrick. And for this happy holiday, big Christmas episode, we are reviewing 2003's Bad Santa, directed by... Terry Zweigoff and starring Billy Bob Thornton, Bernie Mac, Lauren Graham, and the late great John Ritter. <laughs> Dramatic pause. With Cloris Leachman, John Ritter. There's a lot of late greats in this one, unfortunately. Bernie Mac. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah, for a film that's uh, almost 20 years old. Kind of sad, but, you know, we'll talk about that, I guess. Uh, Patrick, do you have a wacky, somewhat <laughs> sober summary for this? I have a summary. I would never say it was wacky. So, Willie T. Soak is an alcoholic asshole, just like Chad. Hey! hey. <laughs> Who are you calling alcoholic? <laughs> On any given day, he drinks himself into oblivion. Willie, that is, not Chad. <laughs> However, Willie is an exceptional safe cracker. Willie, along with his miniature assistant, Marcus Skidmore, are professional thieves who pose as a department store Santa Claus and his elf every year and then rob the store on Christmas Eve. Willie has little respect for himself, nor for his accomplices, Marcus and his wife, Lois. After their most recent job, Willie vows to stop drinking and to never put on the Santa suit again. Eleven months later, Willie continues his alcoholic ways in Miami, where he spends his days drinking, committing petty thefts, and having sex with strippers. When he gets the call from Marcus, Willie forgets his vow and heads off to Phoenix for his next job. Marcus and Willie supplant the existing Santa at the Saguaro Square Mall with their duo act. The prudish department store manager, Bob Chapeska, begins to regret his decision almost immediately when Willie has trouble controlling his temper and vulgar mouth. Nevertheless, Marcus convinces Bob to hire them. Once employed, Willie begins a downward spiral of drinking, thieving, and random sex with any women who are interested. Soon after, Bob catches Willie having sex with a larger woman in a changing room and decides to fire both the Santa and his little elf. However, Marcus and Willie convince Bob that firing an African-American little person will bring a tremendous amount of negative press to the department store so they get to keep their jobs. Nevertheless, Bob reports his concerns to the security chief Jen Slagle. Slagle begins investigating the store Santa and his little elf. One day, Willie is barely entertaining visiting children due to a drunken stupor. He is visited by an overweight boy named Thurman Merman. Thurman is not very bright and believes that Willie is the real Santa. Additionally, Thurman is constantly bullied by a group of teenage skateboarders. Thurman follows Willie one night when he goes to a nearby bar. 
Willie is hit on by the bartender, Sue, who has a massive Santa Claus fetish. The pair have sex in Willie's beat-up car. After Sue leaves, Willie is attacked by a random man who appears to hate Santa Claus. Thurman intervenes to help Willie and chases off the random man. Willie gives Thurman a ride home to thank him. Once at Thurman's house, Willie discovers that Thurman lives with only his senile grandmother. Thurman's mother has died and his father is in prison. Willie cases Wait, the house. Wait, I thought he was in the mountains. He was like on vacation, right? And like, well, yeah, you know, kind of the mountains south of Phoenix near Florence where all the prisons are. But uh, Willie cases the house looking for things to steal once he becomes aware that there is not a competent adult in the house to stop him. He settles for stealing the Merman family BMW as Thurman waves vacantly goodbye. Once Willie gets to his rundown motel room, he finds someone searching his room. He returns to Thurman's house and decides to stay with the lonely boy and his grandmother to hide out. Marcus is angry with Willie for drawing unnecessary attention to himself. Slagle continues to investigate Marcus and Willie and discovers that Willie is living with Thurman. He researches the boy's background and interviews Thurman's father in prison or in the mountains for Chris's sake, who knows nothing about Willie staying in the house. Slagle confronts Willie and Marcus about their operation rather than reporting it to the police. He blackmails the two holiday crooks and tells them that they can continue with the operation as long as he gets half the proceeds. Half. 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 Willie and Marcus are upset about Slagle's request for the stolen money and items, but they don't immediately see a way out of the security officer's grip. Willie and Marcus's relationship continues to deteriorate as Willie's drinking gets even worse. Willie begins showing up to work drunk, and Marcus and Slagle become fed up with Willie's destructive behavior. Reaching the end of his rope, Willie attempts suicide by inhaling exhaust fumes from the tailpipe of the Merman car in the Merman garage. Thurman interrupts the suicide attempt, and Willie gives him a suicide note, which confesses his crimes to give to the police after he's gone. Willie notices that Thurman has a black eye, and after being informed that the boy got it from some skateboarder bullies, Willie stops his suicide attempt and beats up the skateboarding kids. Meanwhile, Marcus and Lois refuse to give in to Slagle and set a trap for him. Marcus feigns car trouble along the side of the road, and when Slagle stops to help them, Lois crushes the security officer between the two cars, killing him. Unaware of Slagle's death, Willie prepares to celebrate Christmas Eve with Sue, Thurman, and Granny at the Merman household. Willie interrupts the festivities to finish the robbery job with Lois and Marcus. Despite his half-assed attempts to sabotage the job, drunk Willie, along with Marcus and Lois, burglarize the department store. However, Willie discovers that the store's industrial size safe is supposedly unbreakable, and is uncertain whether he can open it. Nevertheless, Willie opens the safe and then proceeds to look for a stuffed elephant, the one item that Thurman requested for Christmas from his Santa. I hope he picked the right color. (laughs) After finding the pink elephant, I don't think he did, Willie is surprised to discover that Marcus and Lois intend to kill him, having become fed up with his increasing carelessness. However, the police unexpectedly show up and surround the three criminals before Marcus can shoot Willie. The police, made aware of the robbery by Willie's letter that he gave to Thurman, begin a running shootout with Marcus and chase after Willie. The criminal Santa escapes and gets to his stolen car, desperate to get the stolen elephant to Thurman. Willie gets to Thurman's house, but he is shot multiple times on the doorstep of the Merman house in front of dozens of children. Unbelievably, Willie survives. He is sent to prison Eight where he writes... shots. 
survives. He is sent to prison where he writes to Thurman and sends him presents. A letter to Thurman informs the audience that Willie received a reduced sentence due to the outcry of the general public over the Phoenix Police Department shooting an unarmed Santa Claus in the back in front of children and the fact that Willie wrote the letter that informed the police of the robbery. The letter also informs Thurman that Marcus and Lois ended up in prison and that Sue ended up being made Thurman's legal guardian. Willie ends by telling Thurman that he will see him soon. Thurman proceeds to work on his bicycle in in the front yard when a skateboard bully approaches him. Thurman kicks him in the groin and flips the bully the bird before riding off down the street. And that is Santa, or sorry, bad Santa. (laughs) (laughs) I only wish Santa Claus the movie was that good. (laughs) I could just hear Burl Ives narrating it now. So, Chad, was Bad Santa bad in the theaters, or did it actually do well? Well, Chris, it was a Thanksgiving miracle that year. Uh, When it was released on November the 26th of 2003 in 1,845 theaters. Over the five-day Thanksgiving weekend, Bad Santa expanded out to 2,005 theaters. It earned $16.8 million over those five days but it was only in fifth place for that holiday weekend. Uh, The number one movie that weekend was The Haunted Mansion in its first week. The number two film? Eddie Murphy, Haunted Mansion? Yuppers. Shit. I kind of like that film. The story isn't the best, but I didn't mind that one. I don't know about you two. Uh, The number two film was Chris's all-time favorite movie, The Cat in the Hat, uh, starring Mike Myers. Uh, The number three film is Patrick's all-time favorite Christmas movie, Elf. And the number four film was Gothica, which I don't even know what the hell that is. Halle Berry. Ah, thank you. Okay, good. She was Santa Claus with the beard. (laughs) Let's see. I think Robert Downey Jr. is in that, too, if I remember correctly. Uh, Was he sober in that one? Uh, Probably not. Good. Let's see here. During its eerily scary whatever 18-week run in theaters, uh, Bad Santa earned $60 million domestically. Worldwide, where Santa isn't stereotypically portrayed as a drunk, pervert, shopping mall employee. Let's see. Bad Santa earned $16.5 million, uh, bringing the grand total to $76.5 million. Uh, the film was made on a very modest budget of $23 million, uh, proving once again that capitalism is strongest during the holiday season. Would you know what the alcohol budget was for that? Oh, sorry. 22. <laughs> it has to be. Somewhere <laughs> high. I did not realize this until today uh, when I was doing some additional research that our main man, Billy Bob Thornton, was nominated for a Golden Globe for his portrayal of Willie in this movie. Uh, He was nominated for Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical, and this is quite the musical. Uh, He lost out to Bill Murray's uh, Lost in Translation performance. Oh, he he had a musical number in there. That's for the ages. So for 2003, Bad Santa ranked 54th overall, earning $53 million. It was just behind Love Actually and Mystic River, and just ahead of Underworld and Chris's favorite spy movie of all time, Agent Cody Banks. Never heard of it. Frankie Munez, if I remember correctly. They made a sequel to it as well. (laughs) Straight to Netflix, or was it in the theaters? 
It's a theatrical release. Oh my god. And Patrick owns the 4K version of both movies. Let's see, on, here we go, November the 23rd of 2016, Bad Santa 2 Electric Boogaloo was released into theaters. It earned a whopping $24 million worldwide on a budget of $26 million. So they spent the full 26 on booze, that film, I guess. Uh, let's see, the Internet Movie Database gives this film a 7.1 out of 10. Metacritic gives it a 70%. 81% of the Google robots like Chris like this movie. And let's see, Shane Adam Bassett's employers at Rotten Tomatoes uh, had a 78% critic score and a 75% audience score. And that's the stats for Bad Santa. Any word on what Santa rated it? Uh, a lump of coal, I think. Uh, he gave it two big uh, fingers up. So <laughs> That I could see. One other fact that amuses me greatly is supposedly set in Phoenix, but in name only because that's definitely California. Yes. <laughs> no, that that's Phoenix. I want to talk about the cast first, because I think that for this type of comedy, it has got a very solid cast. I don't know what you guys think, but I think everybody was very well cast in this film and I think they were great in their role, but what do you think about that, and what do you think of Billy Bob as the lead actor? Uh, I've always thought in the two or three times I've seen this that Billy Bob knocked this one out of the ballpark. I don't think you could have found a better person to play an asshole drunk than Billy Bob Thornton because I don't think it's much of a stretch, to be honest with you. Um, and I, he probably did work as a mall Santa at one stage of his life. So I think he was great. I think he was funny. I think he hit all the notes on this one again you couldn't ask for anything better he was an asshole he had just a little bit of a heart not much and he showed it when he needed to um the jokes got a little bit tiring um as he got drunker throughout the movie as the santa suit got a little bit dirtier as he quit basically wearing the beard um but it showed his deterioration throughout the movie and he didn't really let the kid get to him too much even though the kid did get to him by the end but i think he did great and yes this is a great cast i agree with you chris the parts in this movie are well put together um i think lauren graham was a pr little bit too pretty and too clean for wanting to be in a relationship with this type of a guy but for everybody else they basically were good comedy wise and hit all the parts that you or all the points you needed to hit for this movie to be a good comedy and and you say that that she's too pretty to be with a guy who married Angelina Jolie. This is correct because she's a bit of a scuzz bucket. So I agree with everything. The cast is really well, uh, uh, really fits really well for this film, top to bottom. I all agree with the Lauren Graham. She seems too clean cut to mm -hmm. be kind of this, uh, you know, Santa Claus nymphomaniac or Santa Claus fetish nymphomaniac and kind of a drunk as well. You know, she is. She's definitely playing against the type that I've always seen her in other roles. I like her, um, but it, she's the one piece that I think doesn't fit very well. Everybody else, I think, is great, absolutely great, and it's a role that Billy Bob was, you know, born to play. I mean, he just that it, it's. I, I somehow don't think this is Billy Bob playing a character. I think this is Billy Bob to a certain extent playing himself. Not that I think he's a drunk, but I, I think that he's kind of just kind of cantankerous, if you will, and that's. 
definitely Willie Soak. Um, I, you know, uh, I think the jokes play pretty well. This is a staple of my holiday rotation. That's something my wife and I, we saw in the theaters, loved, and we have watched it, I believe, at least once every year, if not twice every year. We don't revisit Bad Santa 2 a lot, but we revisit this one a lot. And there's three different versions because it was something Chad and I talked about ahead of time was there's the theatrical release, there's the director's cut, and then there's the unrated version. And much like uh, 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 Blade Runner, they're distinctly, there's differences and differences that do play out well. And I think, what did I end up saying, Todd, or Chad, that I that uh, I think that I like? It's the unrated version? The, the direct. Oh, I thought we went with the director's version. The director's cut, which has the dialogue of Billy Bob, especially in the opening sequence where he's just talking about his life. In the theatrical cut, that's not there. It just shows it's just silent. In the director's cut, it's he's uh, he's talking about his life and uh, becoming a safe cracker and everything like that. And it, it's kind of funny. So much like Blade Runner, you need that extra dialogue by the main character to help you get through the movie. Uh, well, I think it's funnier. The theatrical version at the end, you you get this implication that he's a replicant, and you know it's just a completely different film. <laughs> also, in that version, he can walk for more than three weeks without it hurting. <laughs> uh, Patrick Tony Cox is in the film, little person. Yes. So by the yeah. Lunchtime movie review rules. This is a fantasy film. Certainly, um, because they're they're wearing Santa suits in uh, Phoenix in December. That'd be fucking hot. Uh, <laughs> and lots of people are wearing jackets. Lots of people are wearing jackets. That would that doesn't happen in the daytime no. in Phoenix it, in December. Just doesn't happen. There, there's a, a certainly a lot of fantastical elements of this. I mean, there's you have to really stretch credibility that they get to keep their jobs. <laughs> When he's no. like, you know, destroying the Santa Claus set and all that other shit. I mean, it's just is so, so ridiculous. And um, so, yeah, there's a little bit of a fantasy element to it, M much more so in the, the second one, uh, if you haven't seen it already. Yeah, Tony Cox is hilarious in this one. He's yes. actually my favorite part of this. He, Because you, you have to have someone like him who can go with that rapid fire, you motherfucker type <laughs> dialogue throughout the whole movie. But yet he's got intelligence, he's got brains, he's got a hot wife, he's got everything you would need to, in a movie like this. And he is the one who gets everything done, and you got old Willie trying to screw everything up with his alcoholism. Otherwise, these guys could be multi-millionaire criminals. Uh, but yeah, Tony Cox just knocks this one out of the ballpark, too. Much like Billy Bob, yeah, I think you couldn't have found a better African-American uh, little person to play this role. But he goes toe to toe with Billy Bob throughout the entirety of the film and gives as much as he takes. And right. sometimes he has some of the best dialogue, you know, even one of the opening sequences is like, you know, and, you know, hey, yeah, one more drink. He says, no, I can't have any more. It's like, come on, what are you, a lightweight? He's like, I'm two, <laughs> two and a half fucking feet tall, you asshole. Like, you know, like, it just like, it just cracks me up that his, his dialogue throughout the entirety of the film is just pitch perfect. Uh, even when he's going with toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe with Slagle in the restaurant where he's trying to negotiate it, I think that's one of the funniest scenes in the film where he's like, you know, 35, and that's as far as I go. Ha. Ha. He's got great comedic timing. 
Yes. And I think he was, from, the Ewok, he was in the one of the Ewok movies. He's one of the Ewoks. Oh, that's his first screen credits. I did not know that. And the scene where uh, he's helping the little boy learn to box, the way they all land on the mat and they're all in pain. And uh, Tony's still trying to kick him, but he's too short to reach him because his legs aren't long enough. I mean, they just did it very well for dark comedy with him. <laughs> Yeah. Now, Bernie Mac's gin oh. was full of shit, both literally and figuratively. Always drinking the the anti or the the laxatives and having the oranges and all that stuff. I don't know. I don't think this was one of his last roles. He he lived for a no. little while longer, right? Yeah. To be honest with you, I think this is one of the first films that I remember seeing of Bernie Mac's and. I think he was excellent in this as well. Yeah, I like him. I think it slows down a little bit. We get too much backstory on him. I mean, as you talked about, like the the laxative and the oranges, but like him going and getting his toes done, I'm like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Well, there's a couple of why is that in here. But I thought that was more of a callback to um, uh, Ocean's Eleven when he was off getting a pedicure or a manicure, whatever it was, and talking about how soft his hands needed to be. I thought yeah, they were fun with him on yeah. that. Yeah, maybe they were, but I, you know, like to me, it was like that scene is all about him getting the call, getting the information about uh, the guys from his friend, and you could have summarized that a lot better without that extending out that scene. I thought him, you know, the you know picking on the shoplifter and taking his shit. I thought that was a little funny, but it did not actually move the story along in any way, shape, or form. It's just that we're going to stop to sh- have this little interlude to show this joke. So, and and this is not a tremendously long film to start with. So yeah, I mean, I guess you had some time to put in some filler and give some more characterization, but it, you know, it's, it, you have these little elements where you definitely don't need this for any reason. Even like the guy who's trying to beat up Billy Bob or Willie after he has sex uh, in the car. Space? Yeah. Office space guy. Uh, like, what the fuck is that about? <laughs> Just like this random. I thought that guy was going to cut one first time I saw it. I thought, because once again, I knew him from office space. I was like, well, he's a recognizable face. I'm assuming he's going to come back someplace later in the film. And he never did. And, you know, and I, I'm sure that was used just to have uh, Thurman help him. Not that, you know, Willie really needed that help on that guy, but it, it just seemed to be an, an odd little, just odd little adventure, uh, you know, side you know, side story for just a second. And then we get back to the main point. Speaking of Bernie, I mean, to me, he was always one of my favorite comedians in movies and his TV show, because unlike a lot of comedians who have to look like they're on and loud and in your face the whole time, he's always subtle with most of his comedy. He's just very relaxed and says stuff in such a cadence. It's soft and, but yet funny and realistic and, just tries to make people look like assholes, really. And I always appreciated him for that. I mean, Ocean's his part in Ocean's Eleven, I think, is great. It's one of my favorite things he's ever did and what little time he had. But then this one, again, he's funny, but yet it's in a soft presence. Um, and his TV show I used to love watching because of how he could give you a family dynamic, but yet he wasn't, like, loud. He wasn't the Bill Cosby or whatever you want to be who had to – be boisterous and funny and on, you know? So I always love Bernie and I think he did great in this one. I miss him a lot after watching this one again. 
So what you're saying is Bernie doesn't have to roofie drinks to get women. Is that exactly. Okay. Exactly. Now, uh, a bittersweet cast member of this film, John Ritter, in his last his last film, playing something that I would consider against type because, you know, he was Mr. Three's Company. He was Mr. Uh, skin Deep with the glow-in-the-dark condoms. So him being very prudish going against type as far as I'm concerned kind of makes the film. I wish we would have seen more of him in this one, Patrick. Yeah. I mean, obviously John Ritter was a staple of my childhood. I was a big, when I was a kid, I, I really loved three's company and was watched it pretty much every single week in it's seven or eight year run. Um, you know, and then after that show went on, he kind of disappeared from my life, although he made some things here and there, including skin deep. Uh, you know, he, you know, I, I really like the fact that he and Billy Bob had a personal friendship and from, I think they did a sitcom in the nineties and it's the sitcom is escaping me at this moment in time, but, uh, the name of it that is, and they, you know, they would work in each other's, uh, on each other's projects together from time to time. And, you know, that he, that he was known, he definitely was not known for being this blue, if you will, or working in such like sexually explicit projects, even though skin deep was, uh, that it, it, it definitely was not something that he normally did to play such a prudish character, especially in light of what he did before. But I really liked him in the brief time that he was in the film and he's in it exceptionally brief. Yeah, I agree with Patrick. I mean, to me, John Ritter will go down as one of the funniest human beings ever. His physical comedy in three's company uh, was just, it, he had no equal then or now I can still watch that show and laugh my ass off, especially at him. Um, anytime I see it because he was spot on perfect for all those years. And then this one, yes, he's a more mellow, uh, character, like Chris said, against type, uh, of the John or Jack Tripper character, not quite the naive douchebag, like problem child, but yet close, but he's a very, he was a very gr uh, good actor and I loved watching him and whatever he did. And yeah, it was sort of bittersweet to see him in this cause I forgot he was even in this movie. And when he popped up, it's like, oh, man, there comes a tug at the heart. But he pulled off what little material he was given very well. And I appreciated getting to see him again. Now, what do you guys think of the story overall? There's a lot of stuff that's just not plausible to me. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, the silliness of it all, it, it sort of fits together. But as someone who worked in retail for 15 years, I can tell you that if the store doesn't set their alarm by a certain time, the alarm companies either call in the store, or they're calling the cops. So right off the bat, that was a little bit hard for me to uh, get past because I was in retail since 95 and it had been like that for forever. So this is a 2003 film. And you know, that, that was just a, a stopping block to me, but was there anything that really threw you out of the story just because it was so over the top ridiculous? Probably all of it in the grand scheme of things. I love the cast. I love a lot of the, I love the premise of a shitty Santa human being or somebody portraying Santa. I like having his little person help him the whole con job going from city to city and pulling this off every year, but just the full execution just doesn't make sense. You have to really suspend your belief in all this stuff. Um, because there's no way that these guys could go from city to city and the cops, the mall security systems, 
not be on the lookout for these jackasses everywhere you go in the United States. And then no gloves, fingerprints everywhere. Exactly. And then you start fitting in the fact that he basically is the worst mall Santa in history. He's drunk. He's pissing himself. He's beating the shit out of plastic mules. He's telling the kids to fuck off. Basically he's telling the parents to fuck off. He's telling the security people to fuck off. He's basically working for nothing. So that way he can just rob them at the end of the season it's hilariously stupid and makes no sense. So you have to sit here and go, yeah, I don't buy any of this. I don't buy any of this. So you have to just take the, the gimmicks and the props and the skits and all that one by one to get the entertainment because it is a whole, it doesn't make any sense at all. Any of it. I can suspend disbelief. Yeah. I don't consider this realistic but <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, I don't find pretty much any Christmas movie realistic in any in any way, shape, or form, and especially anyone that relates to anything related to Santa Claus, obviously. So, you know, Christmas movies, by definition, I have to suspend my disbelief much more than usual. And to me, it's just a fun ride. I really like, I think Christmas movies can sometimes be overly sentimental, and mm. they, they, they twist on emotion. And I know Chad and I, God, I can't remember what movie we reviewed, but you and I talked about it at one point in time about how it's nice to see a film where you're dealing. Oh, the, it was, uh, the um, ice. Yes. Yeah, so and we talked about how, you know, that's taking place at Thanksgiving and you know, that it's a little bit of a darker tale. It's not overly sentimental. And th th that's what I liked about it. This is not everybody likes Christmas and there's there's a darkness to it. Now, we don't get into like, you know, family suck elements, which other films, I think, do much more effectively. This is just an asshole <laughs> at Christmas time. Uh, but it's I, I like it for its darkness and kind of being a black comedy. And, and I and I ultimately think it it's effective in being funny. Yeah, it's not realistic. It's not an all time great comedy. But once you put it into the category of just Christmas films, I think it performs pretty well against a lot of other Christmas movies. Who's the bigger asshole, Bill Murray and Scrooge or Billy Bob in this one? Billy Bob, by, by far. Big, way bigger asshole. <laughs> but on that same thought, that's why I always like watching The Ref every Christmas or every other Christmas, because that one definitely goes against the type of bullshit that uh, where Christmas movies are way too sentimental, especially when it comes to dealing with your family. And that one takes you on a complete 180 and everybody's hates each other for the most part. So Correct. yeah. Another film that I enjoy watching, not one I watch every year, but probably every other year. I really love ref and that for very, a lot of the same reasons why I like this movie is it just, yeah. it plays against what I get force fed constantly at Christmas time is the overly sentimental Christmas movies, which some of them I do like, but, there's only so many times you can watch Christmas vacation, white Christmas. It's a wonderful life. And you know, like that's not necessarily representative of real world society. Those are just as much fantasy as bad Santa because people aren't generally that nice and that caring. You're going to tell me that bullshit on the Hallmark channel that runs all December is fake. I, yeah, <laughs> well, all December, all most of October <laughs> and December. Yeah. It's only 365 days a year. <laughs> There, gotcha. and they, re, they start in july now so with a you know a special christmas in july weekend you know what the fuck 
You know, I do want to give a shout out to the Coen brothers for getting a mention of Apache Junction in this film. Uh, I think that's the only time Apache Junction is really going to uh, be recognized in a feature film. I laughed out loud when he mentioned that. And appropriately mentioned in the film, (laughs) in the the contents of, I licked the woman who was unclean. Where where does uh, Mrs. Santa's sister live in the suburbs? Which one? I don't know, Apache Junction. I was living in Phoenix when this film came out, and the audience roared with laughter. Everybody knows who lives in Apache Junction. (laughs) Well, I will ask real quick, since uh, you guys aren't podcasting with Matt, um, and he loves child actors and actresses, what did you guys think of uh, Brett Kelly as the kid in this one? Because I thought this was, once again, somebody they cast perfect because he almost shows no real emotion, or you can't really read his emotions, but yet you know how he feels all the time throughout the movie. And I don't know if they could have found somebody to pull off this, you know, almost mono kid character the way he worked this one. I guess I could say, you know, I could I could be really crass like Billy Bob or Willie and say, I believe he's retarded. You know, that, <laughs> but because he plays stupid so well. Uh, and it, there's, you know, something to seem, seem to be off about him. Um, but that's what the character needed to be. That's what the role needed to be. You know, he, he's not supposed to draw attention from, you know, from Willie. He's supposed to, you know, get to the point where he is such a punching bag that even Willie stops hitting, you know, and just and then takes up defending him. I mean, that's the char- character arc for Willie is that as much as he's picking on him throughout the entire film, even he takes starts to take no joy in it and sees this as this helpless character that I need to help. Yeah, and the whole uh, cutting his hand open, uh, eventually making a wood, carving out a wooden pickle. Uh, pickle, I, in quotes. Pickle, yes, that was hilarious. Which Willie may or may not have immediately used on Sue. Um, yes, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> immediately went to uh, Mrs. Claus's sister and uh, used it on her. All right, I think we've talked enough about this gem of a Christmas film. Uh, After all said and done on a scale of one to five, do you consider this film a bad one? Or do you give it a high five? And if this is in your rotation of Christmas films, where do you put it? Upper half, middle half, bottom half? Which half? I like the movie. I've only seen it a few times and I don't watch it in a Christmas film rotation like Patrick does. I, I can watch it, but watching it as a whole, just, it doesn't settle with me. I like it again. I like all the pieces. I just can't sit there and continuously stomach the whole film. There's just something about it that doesn't settle with me. I'm not fully entertained by the whole thing. So if I can watch individual scenes or parts and all that, I'm good. But it's not something I'm going to go to regularly. Um, I give everybody credit. I think they're funny. I think they do what they're supposed to do. But I just can't watch it on a regular basis. But I would, as overall as a Christmas film, I would put it dead in the middle of anything that I've ever seen in my life. You know, I, as I said, it's a staple of you know my Christmas rotation. It's one of... I would say six or seven films that I can honestly say we watch every year uh, for Christmas. Uh, And that's, you know, including Christmas Vacation, Die Hard, um, Elf, 
trying to think of other ones that we typically watch every year. Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon. No, yeah. Lethal Weapon is not an, an <gasps> annual chorus. I, I, I don't get me wrong. I love Lethal Weapon, but I'm the only one who does. So <laughs> well, I, oh, along those lines, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. No, I don't. I've only seen that once, way, way long ago, and I've never put that into my rotation. I liked the movie at the time. I just has never come back to it, and okay. definitely have not put it in my Christmas rotation. But I mean, there's there's about six or seven films, and this is one of them that I watch every year. It's a personal favorite of my wife. So, it, you know, my wife is not a sit down and watch movies on a regular basis type of person. And but there's you know there's about twenty twenty five films out there that she watches all the time. This is one of them. So she looks forward to it at Christmas time. Obviously the kids have to be in bed for us to be able to watch it, uh, but it's one I really like. I, I think it works really well as a comedy. I thought it was really well done at its time. I, I would say it was a four star movie. And as far as a Christmas movie, it's definitively in the top half. Uh, I like the fact that it plays against type of most other Christmas movies and it kind of clears the palette, if you will, at Christmas time when I'm watching the overly sentimental crap um, or the, the stuff that I really, really like. And that's why I like this film. Um, now, Bad Santa 2 is horrible. Uh, <laughs> the bottom, not good. Uh, you know, it's you. I was really looking forward to them coming back and making the sequel, especially after they took so much time to do it. And then it was, and, and even though I think they have an even better cast in that film, they have a horrible story. Uh, and it just doesn't play very well. And it, or it retreads a lot of the same stuff that just, yeah, it's just, it's just not as entertaining. So was Cloris uh, Leachman in that one, by the way, because she was still alive. Uh, I think she died in 2019. No, no, no. Thurman is well grown up at that point. Okay. Times uh, the kid, he comes back to play kind of the adult character of that who still follows him around. Tony Cox is back, having having got out of prison. Uh, Kathy Bates plays Willie's mother, um, and then you got uh, <laughs> that's got to be good. Uh, Christina Hendricks uh, kind of plays the love interest uh, in the film uh, for Willie, which if you thought Lauren Graham was like a little out of his league, I, I think Christina Hendricks, especially the character she's playing, is way out of his league in that film. And it's, that's one of the more completely unbelievable portions of the film. Real quick, uh, Chorus Leachman plays a corpse perfectly, by the way. I want to yes. put that in there before we get out of this. Yeah, they, they didn't have to. She didn't have to do much in this film. No. For me, this is this is like a once a decade film. This is only the third time I've seen it, and um, but I do enjoy this film. I think as a comedy, it, it's it's a laugh out loud comedy. And some some of the films that I enjoy that are comedies just aren't laugh out loud. Also, one of my criticisms of a lot of films of a lot of comedies, even if I love the comedy, is they kind of run out of an idea of how to end the film. You know, kind of like Monty Python's running joke where they don't know how to end a skit. So they have a cop come in and just arrest him to end it. That's how they did uh, the Holy Grail, of course, because they didn't have an ending. Or maybe that's just the way they wanted to end it. But this one had a pretty decent ending that fit the silliness of the story overall. And it wasn't a letdown like where I would have said, oh, I should just turn it off now. Because a lot of comedies, like even Caddyshack, I can't stand the ending. But anyway, I, I give this film a solid B. It's not something I'll see again for another 10 years, but, you know, that's okay. There, there's nothing wrong with that. All right. Uh, that's it for today's review of Bad Santa. Uh, please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section and for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com. Rate it from one to five stars on that page as well. 
Uh, if you enjoyed today's review, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the MHM Podcast Network, where we have many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and beyond. Until next time, I'm Chris. I am Chad. I'm Patrick. And as soon as we get our round of special eggnogs, this concession stand will be closed. Closed? <laughs> I did a Pink Panther stuff. Oh, okay. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme song for Movie House Concessions, Rock on Brada, is brought to you by Marwan Nimra at netentine.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Movie House Concessions, the MHM Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted. Noted.